the message for this morning, we, we started a series last weekend called Radical, um, and where this came from is one of the prophets that we know that was in town at the Sound, if you're here in January, named Charlie. He's still thinking about us. He's still, just this week I was talking to my friend Dwayne, and he said, Charlie sent me two, two text messages in the middle of the night, twice this week, just saying, hey, I've got this word for you, specifically. It's really cool that people actually care about people. Uh, but about a month ago, Charlie sent a message to J.O. saying, the Lord is speaking to me about your whole church. Not the organization, not the building, all of us, the people. And this word that he uh, gave to J.O. Was, was all about what God is desiring to do in our church in this season. And we saw this recurring word, radical, and Charlie was saying, God is asking you to be radical about this and this and this and this and this. And so we just decided to create a sermon series on it and just dive into exactly what it is that, that through seeking the scriptures and the Holy Spirit, what is he saying to us in this day and time? And I, I think that it's a, it's a prominent word and it's an important thought in particular for this season that we live in because in 2018 in America, we're living in an even more and more radicalized society. There are people that are becoming really radical about all kinds of different issues. Do you know what I'm saying? Political issues. And, and people are, they're, they're becoming so radical that, and so passionate about what they believe that, that they're beginning to, to yell and scream at each other and, and tear each other down. And it's like, it's like soldiers walking all around the place just ready to, to pull their triggers on people that disagree with them. And, and people are, are screaming at one another. And, and I think the radical beliefs in our society today about any number of issues are really uh, tearing people apart and tearing people down. And so as we jump into this uh, idea of being radical in a biblical sense, from God's perspective, I think that it's important to point out here from the beginning that we have a responsibility to be radical in a way that builds people up, radical in a way that pours life and love into people, radical in a way that draws people together instead of tearing people apart. Somebody said amen. Amen. God has called us to be radical people, but it's different than the way that the world sees it. It's a, it's a, it's a radical love and a radical life that, that just breathes life and love into everybody that we come in contact with. That when we leave a conversation or a situation, people think about us and think, wow, there's something different in a good way about them. They're radical. They're full of life. And so last week, we began the series uh, speaking about courage and how what God is going to call us to is going to take radical courage. And so if you missed that, you should go online and find one of those messages and listen to that. And this week, we're going to talk about uh, the assignment sort of this week is to speak about being radical in reaching the next generation. Radical in reaching the children. To be radical in reaching youth. To be radical in reaching the university setting where people are leaving the church and the faith by the masses, but not in our church, because we're going to put effort and time and energy and finances into reaching the next generation, because we know this, that if this is us, there's going to be a generation after us and a generation after them, and we have to pass on the message of the truth of the gospel to them, and they need to pass it on to them, and they need to pass it on to the next generation, because how many of you know that at any given point, the gospel could die out with one generation. Yeah. 
If we don't pass on the truth of the gospel to the next generation, it could die out with our generation. And so we have a radical responsibility to participate in passing it on. And that's why people like my parents would drag me to church and say, you know what, I so believe in what the church has to offer that I'm going to bring you, and I'm going to bring you, I'm going to bring you until the Holy Spirit has you. Because there's something that the world needs and we have it. And we have a responsibility, every one of us. Not the institutional church, not the organization, not the building, not the, not the things that we think about in terms of organizations and nonprofits and church facilities and ch- church staff. But we have a radical responsibility, every one of us, to reach the next generation. And the message of the gospel is not going to die out with me. I hope it's not going to die out with you. And so I want to read two passages, one just by way of introduction, and then one uh, to really describe, I think, what it is that the Lord asked me to speak about this morning. So if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew 28. We're going to be at the end of the chapter. If you've been in church for any amount of time, you probably have heard this before. The translators label it the Great Commission. Um, but I just want to invite you to, to listen with fresh ears this morning. Let's pray as we jump in. Lord, I thank you for every person that's here for this uh, privilege and opportunity that you've given me to share your word. Together we ask that you would speak through me, that you would open up your scriptures and through the power of your Holy Spirit that you'd speak to each person's heart, whether they're in this room or, or listening online, that the powerful words that come from your heart would penetrate our hearts and change us and transform us, that we would become the people that you desire that we would be. We commit ourselves to you, heart and soul, in these next few moments, inviting you, Holy Spirit, to have your way in and through us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. It's what Jesus says. This is at the end of his life. He's already accomplished the ministry that God had given him. He's already gone to the cross. He's been uh, crucified, buried for three days, risen from the dead, appeared to many, many people over the next 40 days or so. And here we have uh, sort of his last, last words. Um, He's on the mountain with his friends. He's getting ready to ascend back to his throne in heaven. And he gives this commission to the disciples. Says Jesus came in verse 18, 28, uh, Matthew 28, starting in verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. What he was talking about with that last line was what was going to take place. Because Jesus said to them, hey, it's better for you guys that I go in the flesh back to heaven because when I go, I'm going to send my spirit. And so my presence inside of you is actually better for you than my presence beside you. 
And so as amazing as it would be for us to have been the disciples and gotten to walk with Jesus in the flesh, sometimes I think, man, it would have just been so much better if Jesus was right here beside me doing all of these things. But what Jesus says is that it's better that he's not right here in the flesh beside us because as he left, he sent his spirit to fill us. And that's the reality that you and I have to live in right now. He is with us inside our hearts until the very end. And so that's why he can say all authority has been given to me and I am with you. Therefore, go and make disciples of all of the nations. Make disciples of the entire world. This is the opportunity that we have is to reach the entire world. Come on. How's that? (laughs) Jesus says, go and make disciples of all of the nations. I think in today's day and time, there's over 200 nations. There's thousands of people groups, many, many languages. There's so many people that sometimes it can become a little overwhelming. I know it's, it's easy for people like me to, to stand up here and preach about, come on, let's make disciples of all the nations. Let's do this, rah, rah, rah. And yet, sometimes it can seem so overwhelming because there's so many people out there. And it, it's almost hard to know, what, what can I do to be a part of that? I want to be part of what you're asking me to do, God. I want to reach people. I want to reach the masses. I want to see this whole world and and all those in the Middle East and and ISIS. I want to see them come to know you. All those in Asia and Africa. I want to see all those in my little town in North Idaho. I want to see these people come to know you, but I don't know how. It's a radical call. It's It's a radical thing that he's asked us to reach the world and then to think about that my generation is gonna die off and then there's another generation that needs to be reached and then they're gonna die and another generation that needs to be reached. And so we have this never ending work until Jesus comes back of passing on his message to more and more people. Sometimes it's a little overwhelming. But then you hear about people that are doing these amazing things, you know that there's some phenomenal radical churches out there. There's a church in South Korea called Yoido, and their church is 480,000 people. That's how big their church is. Just one church. It's amazing. Now think about something like that. Wow, what would it look like if half a million people were gathered? They probably didn't gather in one place. Probably an underground church, to be honest with you. Just house to house, a gazillion of them. That's the way that it typically works over there. But you think about that. One church, one movement of people, almost a half million strong. It's amazing. There's another church in India, 130,000, called Calvary Temple. Hundred and thirty thousand people at the church in India, Calvary Temple. There's another church you might have heard of it. It's a little church based out of Australia called Hillsong. Hillsong Global now. Hundred thousand people in their church. 
And then there's all kinds of other uh, churches, uh, a bunch in the, in, a, in the States, 30, 40, 50,000. We were just at one called Church of the Highlands uh, just last week. Um, they're doing amazing things. Uh, their church last weekend had as many people show up to church as we have in our whole city, 45,000 people. We, we went to a conference there. It was like this massive like building on this massive property. You, know, you have to drive up this long driveway to get there, and it's like you walk into this place, and it's, it's amazing, and the, the LED wall in the front of their stage is huge, and it's like, wow, this is radical, all that they're doing. This massive room, tons of people all over the place. They got like a secondary sanctuary, and then another chapel, and all of these things, and it, it's pretty radical what they're doing. It's pretty encouraging what they're doing, but in some ways, it's a little discouraging, just to be honest. We walk into this church conference with all these church leaders, and, and, and we're just a few amidst, amidst thousands of people, amidst this massive church that is <laughs> the same size as our city, and all of a sudden, as encouraging as it is, you start to feel a little small. Because you start to realize that church is like Yoido and Hillsong and Highlands and Elevation and all these, all these people that are doing radical and great and mighty things for God. You start to think, wow, my little city is like the same size as your church. And then my little church is just a little piece of that city. And then my little ministry that I'm involved in is just a little piece of that, and then here I am. Just a little nobody. <laughs> and it starts to feel like this big mountain of ministry that's taking place. It's really accomplishing this thing called make disciples of all nations, and it's, and it's really great, and we're really happy that there are, there's a few churches and ministries and people. You know, they said that Billy Graham, I think, preached to two billion people. There's a guy by the name of Reinhard Bonnke who ministers in Africa, and if you, if you want to get excited about something, just type in Reinhard Bonnke Evangelist in YouTube, and it shows these, these events where you, the, the camera pans across the crowd, and you literally cannot see the end of the crowd, and he gives an altar call, and three million people give their life to Jesus in the midst of one night. It's true. It's amazing. It's incredible. It's radical. And those things are really exciting, but sometimes amidst this mountain of ministry and, and what these guys are doing, sometimes you can feel really, really small. And I wonder, it makes me think, is, is, is this the model that, that Jesus has given us to, to create these big programs and big churches and, and to, to create these big ministry opportunities? Is that how we're really going to reach this world? And I would submit to you, while ministries and programs and churches like this, I'm so happy for them, and I'm so happy for what God has given us, I want to submit to you this morning that this is not his primary plan for us, his primary purpose for us of how to transform this world. And so for that, I want to read a passage in chapter six, uh, six of the Gospel of Luke with you. 
And I'm titling this message, His Plan of Pursuit, His Plan of Doing Ministry, His Plan of Changing This Planet. Jesus had already begun his ministry. He'd already uh, spent the time in the wilderness, been baptized, and he had started a few things, healing some people and preaching, and there had been a few people that had begun to follow him. But then one particular day, he did something out of the ordinary, and this is what it says. Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 12. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God, And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12, whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, Andrew, his brother, James and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor." I want to submit to you today that this is the template or the beginning of the template for his plan for us to reach this world. And he models it for us. I'm going to give you five Ps today if you're taking notes. It says this, that Jesus went up to the mountain and he sat down and he bowed his head to pray. It starts with prayer. Everything that we do starts with prayer. Everything that happens in this church, if it has any power, it's because we pursued God first in prayer. Here we call, you've heard probably J.O. say this before, we, we call prayer the engine room of the church. Prayer is important because seeking God first is important. Because no matter what programs we have, what strategies we have, whatever we put together on the outside, if it's not blessed with God's spirit on the inside, then it doesn't matter. So we need to seek him first through prayer. The Bible says that God knows our needs before we ask him, and yet he still wants us to come to him. Because prayer in its very essence shows that our heart is in a position of not being the Lord of our own life, but recognizing that there's a God above us whom we need to seek, who we're desperate for, who we need to do something in our reality in order for something to be accomplished. Prayer is important. I don't know if you've ever been in an all-night prayer meeting like Jesus, but to go and pray all night is difficult. It takes effort. It takes intentionality. Sometimes just praying for 10 minutes is hard. Oh, y'all act like I'm the only one, really? (laughs) Prayer is difficult, isn't it? You know, it's like you start praying, I'm going to focus on praying. And then you're thinking about like the thing you need to do. And you're like, oh yeah, sorry, God, focus on you again. (laughs) You know, and it's like, it's so hard just to push away the world and just spend time with God praying. And then sometimes we do pray and we just end up asking for things that we want, you know, You ever think about why Jesus prayed? Like, really? Like, you're God. Why would Jesus go to the mountain to pray when he's God? He's just talking to himself type situation? It's because, second P, it's all about His presence. You see, we serve a triune God. 
the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's what we believe. The word is, we call it Trinity. That's not in the Bible. It's just the way that we've described what it is that we believe that the entirety of the scriptures lays out for us. That God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are coexistent in the triune Godhead. We believe that God in his very nature is relationship. That's who our God is. His DNA is love and relationship. That before the earth and this physical reality began, that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have always been in existence in eternal and co-relationship with one another. Coexisting in authority and coexisting in submission with one another. And so when Jesus goes to pray, he's, he's laying out for us the reality of the basis of what prayer really is, and that is relationship. It's not just asking for things from a supernatural Santa Claus. No, it's spending time in relationship with God. And, and that's why Jesus did that, because he needed to spend time with the Father and the Spirit in relationship. When we pray, we should, we should both talk and listen, right? When we pray, we should just sit sometimes, just, just enjoy relationship, just receive from that. We spend a whole lot of time focusing on other things, but we need to spend time in relationship with God. And by the way, when we, when we begin to pursue the ministry that he's called us to, reaching all the nations with the message, reaching all of the world, reaching the next generation. It's not because we have our own message to preach. It's not simply because we want people to know a few words written in a book. It's because we want people to experience the presence of the living God. That's what ministry is. We're not teaching people 21 steps to a better life. We're not teaching people some philosophy. We're introducing people to the presence of God. That's what's gonna change their world. Everything is all about relationship with the presence of God, both for now and for eternity. And so Jesus' model for us starts with prayer. The presence is the why. And the scripture says this, that Jesus came down off, to, off the mountain after praying all night, and he chose people. Twelve of them to be exact. That's how I know he's a Seahawks fan. <laughs> I'm like the proud preacher. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I was in a class once in college, and uh, it was a Greek class, so the point was to translate the, the scriptures, and the teacher said, you're going to start with uh, Matthew chapter 1, and I was like... Hey, teach, why are we starting with Matthew 1? All it is is a bunch of people's names. That's boring. And he rebuked me, and he said, those names are important, and so we're going to start with Matthew chapter 1. I said, okay. And so we translated the names from Greek into English, and what he was really trying to get at was that each one of those names represents a person that has a story that's important. And for you just to say, I'm going to skip over all those names, which, by the way, is the lineage of Jesus and where he came from, you're going to skip over and miss so many stories of what God did in people who nobody ever thought God would do something in them. And so their name is important because they are important, and what God did through them is important. And by the way, the message is now coming to you now because somebody passed it from person to person. And so people's names are important because people are important. And so when Jesus came down off the mountain after praying all night long, 
Seeking the Father. I think praying in this particular setting, who are the specific people that you want me to go after? Who are the people that I'm going to own? Who are my 12 guys that I'm going to go after? Which leads us to our fourth P. Pursue. Who are the people that you want me to pursue, Father? Jesus spent all night praying, seeking the Father for who are the people that he was to go after. He came down off the mountain, and it says that he chose these people by name, and then he lists their names. That shows intentionality to me. That shows that he specifically chose them. He had, he had many, many people following him. It says that there was disciples already following him at that point, uh, hearing what he had done, experiencing the miracles. And so people were kind of coming and going. But he came off the mountain, and he chose 12 specific people by name, and then he pursued those people. It says he went up to Matthew's, excuse me, tax collector booth, and he chose him. I want you. And he went up to the fishing boats and he said, Peter, I want you and your brother. He went up and got James and John and it lists the 12 and he chose them and he pursued them by name. I want to ask you a simple question this morning. Who are your people? Who are your people? Whether or not you're currently involved in a ministry program whether or not you stand on a stage this size or bigger, who are your people? Who are your people? So Jesus prays all night on the mountain. He comes down. He chooses people. He pursues them with intentionality. And then this bunch of dudes just start wandering around the Middle East doing ministry. And they're going here and there. It seems almost like they're just doing ministry as they go, which is pretty cool because actually, if you translate the scripture in, in Matthew 28 uh, directly from the original language, he actually says, as you go, wherever you go, whenever you go, make disciples of all nations. It's more of a process than a destination. It's more of a, hey, wherever you go, whether you find yourself in Africa or not, it's not just one place where you're going to make disciples. It's everywhere you go, whenever you go, because you're going to go somewhere, make disciples along the way. And that's what they did. They wandered around the Middle East, and, and, and they did a, a bunch of different ministry events. They went over to one place, and they, they, uh, they, they opened up the healing rooms, and they started healing some blind eyes, and, and uh, they set up the healing ministry down here in one area, and, and they, they, they were raising lepers, and, or uh, raising those that are lame, and cleansing the lepers, and healing blind eyes, and, and they did the healing ministry, and that's really cool. And then they wandered around a little bit more, and they opened up a food bank, the Father's Market, and they, they sort of broke the bread and the low, the, the bread and the fish, and distributed those to 5,000 people, and so they had the food bank ministry going on, and they had the healing ministry going on, right? And then they wandered around a little bit more, and, and they, they got a microphone, and he did the preaching thing on the mountain, and, and thousands of people came, and he had the, he had the, the itinerant preaching ministry, circuit riding, and he was doing that. And, and they just traveled all over the place doing all these ministry events. All these things that we take and we see and we make them into programs, which aren't bad things. They're just not the primary things. We got the, we've got the food bank here, and I'm thankful that we do. We've got the, 
the youth program and the young adult program and the intern program, and we've got the small group ministry, and we've got the, the weekend gathering system all designed so, so y'all can come. And by the way, I am happy that you're here. I'm glad that you're here as opposed to not here. But sometimes, if we're not careful, we can make... We can make this whole thing into a mountain of, of ministries, into a mountain of programs, into a mountain of, of designed out, uh, orchestrated events. When that wasn't Jesus' primary ministry, what he spent the most amount of his time doing was hanging out with these people. And as they spent life together, they did these things along the way. We live in this society that has turned church and ministry into a couple set uh, programs. And I just fear sometimes that we've lost track of the fact that it's always, no matter how big your church becomes and how big your program is, it's always about people. And Jesus set for us the example. I'm going to give you one more P. And I think that this last word represents God's plan for how he wants us to reach the world, to reach the nations. Let me preface it with this. I am a preacher, obviously, by trade, one of my trades, and um, I pray and hope that God will make me effective uh, for the task that he's given me. But I have not yet reached this place where I could preach like Billy Graham or Reinhard Bonnke or anything like that, but let's just imagine together for a moment that I was somehow gifted enough to preach the gospel and lead a 1,000 people to the Lord every single day. Not even Billy Graham was that good, but let's just imagine. I could lead 1,000 brand new people, never have been in faith before, 1,000 people to the Lord every single day of my life. How long do you think it would take before I led everybody in America to the Lord? It would take 875 years. 875 years if I could lead 1,000 people to the Lord every single day, 365,000 people every single year. It would take me 875 years to lead everybody just in this one nation to the Lord. That seems a little overwhelming. Right? Because nobody's that good. Nobody could do that. Billy Graham couldn't even do that. And he's like the most incredible American evangelist to ever live. But there's no way that you could lead all of those people. It would take forever. But the good news is that's not God's plan. That's not his primary intention for how he's going to reach this planet. God bless Billy Graham. God bless everybody who has a, a 480,000 person church. God bless that. I'm so glad that God is doing big and mighty things through people like that. But as a preacher myself, I take so much comfort in knowing the weight being taken off my shoulders because that is not the primary way that God wants to change this world. Let me tell you what he wants to do. If just one of you 
would find two friends, not 1,000 people, not 500 people, not 20 people, just two people. And you would spend not a day, not a week, not a month, but an entire year with them. If just one of you today would find two friends and spend a whole year walking with them in life, discipling them, what does that look like? Just saying to them, hey, I don't know everything about the Bible. I don't have it all together, but what would it look like if the three of us just spent a year together? We could study the scriptures together. We could read some other books together. We could pray for one another. When I'm falling down, you can lift me up. When you're falling down, I'll lift you up. We'll hold each other accountable. What would it look like if we spent a whole year walking with one another, figuring out what it is to follow Jesus on this journey of life? After one whole year, there will be... Three people following Jesus, you and your two friends. I know, it's just a little dot amongst this big mountain of ministry. But if just one of you would start and find two friends, and at the end of that year, teach them to do the same thing. Hey, why don't you go find two more friends, and I'll go find two more friends, and, and let's just do it again, spend a whole year. After about seven years... You will have reached 4,500 people. That's pretty incredible. Which, by the way, 4,500 people is the vision of Heart of the City Church, to reach a tithe of our city. That's the vision that God has given us, not because we just want the numbers, not just because we want a big church, it's because people matter. And one of those 4,500 might be your son or daughter that is not yet walking with Jesus. And so that's why we care. It might be your mom or dad that might be dying in a few years and they don't yet know Jesus. We're, we don't just care about getting more and more numbers. We care about building the church of Jesus Christ because we care about people. Because you matter and the people next to you matter. And so if just one of you would find two friends and spend a whole year with them and teach them to do the same thing, in about seven years, we would have reached 4,500 people. In about 11 years, we would have reached every single person in Coeur d'Alene. In 13 years, every single person in the state of Idaho would have least heard of the name of Jesus. And watch this. If just one of you would start and spend a whole year with two people and teach them to do the same thing, after only... 17 and a half years, every single person in the United States of America would know Jesus. And this is the most mind-blowing statistic of all. After only 21 and a half years, every single person in the world would know Jesus. Isn't that incredible? I don't like math at all, but when I heard this math equation... It changed my life. If this doesn't like do something inside of you, then I think that you should really consider spending all night praying to God to wake you up. I'm serious. 
Because there should be something happening in your soul when you think of something like this. Because if you've never realized this before, like I hadn't, you start to think about, wow, well, reaching the world and the nations and all that, it's just too big. My, my city, 45,000 is a small town, but that seems so big. There's, there's just too much, and my church is too small, and my program, and I don't have the giftings or the anointings or the abilities. I'm not Billy Graham. I'm not J.O. I'm not this person or that person. Well, you know what? Take all that weight off of your shoulders. You don't need to be. All you need to know is two people. (laughs) Two people. It's so beautiful to me that God's plan, although God bless the big churches and the big ministries and the big program, we need them. But it's so amazing that the weight of this mountain can be taken off our shoulders to know that never is it never going to be one Hollywood preacher, super recognized, everybody knows him, super gifted, anointed person. Not one single or, or handful of people is ever going to change this world. It's going to be when every single one of us gets involved. And the most beautiful thing of all is that It won't take us 875 years. Think about this, church. Literally, before you die, this world will be changed if you would just get involved. And so his plan for pursuit starts with prayer. It's all about his presence. It's all about people that we would pursue specifically, even if it's two or five or eight or 12. Because God set up for us The first ever pyramid scheme. (laughs) It's that mountain flipped upside down. (laughs) He created the first ever pyramid scheme. All you got to do is find a few, and then they find a few, and then they find a few, and it's multiplication. And so whatever it is that might have been holding you back, Lack of giftings, lack of ability, lack of anointing. You don't, you don't have what this or that person has and you can't stand on a stage like this or you don't have the program. Well, listen to me. God is telling you today, you don't need the program. You don't need the ministry. You don't need to be a governmentally recognized 501c3 nonprofit organization. All you need is the spirit of God living inside of you and a few people that God has given you and you can pursue them and pour into them and love them and the world will be changed through you. Will you stand to your feet with me? This is what it's about. We're going to continue to build this church. We are going to continue to, to set up programs and use, use strategy and, and food bank and all the things, all the outreaches that we do because they help us reach people. But no matter how big we get and how oiled the machine of ministry gets and what programs we have in place, God forbid that any one of us, myself included, would forget the fact that it's always about people. So I want to ask you again, who are your people? Do you know them by name? Maybe you have a, a program and a ministry that you serve in. But is it, just, is it just person after person that you serve but you don't actually get into relationship with? I say to my leaders oftentimes, who are your people? Tell me their names. Every one of us has at least a few relationships in life. We don't have to be some super anointed person that can stand on a stage and preach to the masses. 
God wants to use you. I, I want to ask your forgiveness on behalf of myself and the, the church in America in 2018 because we have done a great disservice to the people of God by presenting this Hollywood version of what ministry is with a few people that are known and followed by the masses, that those are the ones that are supposed to do the ministry. The scripture actually teaches that my job is to equip the saints, all of you, to do the work of the ministry. Amen. It's not all about just a few uh, celebrity preachers. That's not God's plan for changing this planet. You are important, whoever you are. If you have access to a few people, and the Spirit of God living inside of you, it matters. And so again, I want to just close with this challenge to you. Do you know your people? And if you don't yet know them, would you pray? And you know what? You could consider praying for an hour or two or all night or spend a week seeking God, but this world could literally be changed before you die in a significant and real way when we all get involved. People need relationship. People need real care, not just a ministry program. And, and there's a few pastors that can't do it all, a few, a few ministry workers. That's not his design. We're not that good. His design is that all of the people in whom he's put his presence would be involved with some people that this world we flipped upside down for the better.